Okay, so we're continuing through the saga of the patriarchs. Um, last week, we had the story just to sort of, on last week's episode, to kind of get us our bearing straight on where we are today. Uh, r- remember, uh, Jacob had stolen the birthright. He then stolen the blessing. His brother wanted to kill him. He was going to wait until his dad died, and then he was going to kill his brother. His mom gets wind of this, um, and she talks to Isaac, and they say, let's go ahead and send Jacob away to my brother in the very far left, uh, far right corner of, of the map here. Story starts down in Beersheba. Uh, Jacob begins his journey. He gets two or three days in, so about 40 or 50 miles into his journey at, at Bethel, which is right close to, um, to Jerusalem. He's there with nothing. Like he has a rock as a pillow and God meets him in a dream. And God affirms to him that the promise that he gave to Abraham would indeed uh, be passed on to him and that he would be with him and that he would go to this land some five, 500 miles away and he would find a relative, he would find a wife, he would return safely, and uh, the story of God's redemptive plan would, uh, would continue to unfold. And so that was last week, and that's where we pick up our story today. Genesis chapter 29, verse 1. Then Jacob went on his journey, journey, and he came to the land of the sons of the east. He looked, and he saw a well in the field, and behold... Uh, three flocks of sheep were lying there beside it, for from that well they watered the flocks. Now the stone on the mouth of the well was large. When all the flocks were gathered there, they would then roll the stone from the mouth of the well and water the sheep and put the stone back into its place on the mouth of the well. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we do uh, thank you for the story. We ask that you would help us now. And that's in Christ's good name we pray. Amen. All right, so the portion I, I read, we see that he's made it. We, we have no idea how long it took him, but it's 450 to 500 miles. The equivalent would be for us to walk up to San Francisco. So however long you think that would take you to walk to San Francisco, um, that's, that's how long it would take. This is before GPS. This is before Thomas... Got, you know, brother's uh, map. He just has a general idea of where he's going. It's not like a place he's been, and he's just walking, 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 walking. Uh, in this first section, we see that he made it to the, to the land of the sons of the east. And as he looks, he sees this well in the field, and behold, three flocks of sheep were lying there beside it, and from the well that they watered the flocks. Uh, now the stone on the stone now the stone on the mouth of the well was large when all the flocks were gathered there they would then roll the stone from the mouth of the well and water the sheep um, the sheep and put the stone back in its place so basically this big stone is on the well for like safety so people wouldn't fall into it it was there sort of as a as a padlock so that people wouldn't steal water from it and so we're just sort of introduced to this land he gets there he arrives uh, very different from the story back in 20, uh, chapter 24, when, uh, when Abraham's servant went to this land. That servant we saw was very much seeking God, asking God, okay, God, I'm here. I'm at the location. I'm looking for a wife. Uh, I'm asking you to guide me, to lead me. Today's story doesn't open up with any sort of uh, seeking God. Uh, this encounter that Jacob had previously in last week's story it doesn't quite seem to follow through into today's story. We just get, we're told the situation. There's a bunch of sheep sort of there. The, the well is capped. They're, they're waiting. And now Jacob makes his approach in verse 4. Jacob said to them, uh, My brothers, where are you from? And they said, We are from Haran. And he's like, Oh, great. I'm in the right spot. This is like a good sign. And he said to them, Do you know Laban, the son of Nahor? So he knows that this is the, his uncle, the, the brother of his mother. And, they, and uh, he said to them, okay, wait. And they said, we know him. And he said to them, is it well with him? And they said, 
it is well. And here is Rachel, the daughter, coming with the sheep. Um, so far, everything's okay in this story. Everything's going to get radically off for the rest of today. Um, I don't understand. Um, so soap operas have, have a, I don't want to even do a raise of hands, but apparently people absolutely watch them because, like, I forget which ones, but like Days of Our Life. Um, days, no, is it Days of Our Life? No. Days of Our Lives. I don't watch them. Um, Bold and the Beautiful. Uh, all My Children. The, what? General Hospital. <laughs> so, so these things have been on the air for 60 years. Like, the TV shows I last have like, Maybe like a two-year run, and then nobody watches them because they're so weird or something. I don't know. But these shows have been like going on, and they're super drama-filled. And this story is a total disaster. I mean, really, like if you come to the Bible and you think, oh, I'm going to read Genesis, and I'm going to learn about the patriarchs, and I'm going to see about what like godly people these are that God chose to, to use, you're going to be very let down. And so the story so far, he's there. And if we're watching this like a soap opera, we see, oh, he made it to the people. He made it to the place. And then if this was a TV show, the camera angle would then like swing over to the distance and it would be the golden hour. So it's like perfect light. And there'd be this like beautiful Israeli girl like swinging her hair (laughs) that's got all of her makeup on, even though she's a shepherdess. And it's like, you can just see his heart pounding. It's like, he's just captivated by the beauty of this girl. But all we, all we have is, yeah, it's good with Laban. And oh, by the way, that's his daughter's right over there. Um, okay, where are we? Verse 6. <laughs> his daughter Rachel is coming with a sheep. And he's, he, uh, I don't know what to make of these next few verses about Jacob. He, he seems to move from like, asking some general questions to strangers, sort of being humble, to then, I don't know if because the beautiful girl is on scene, he turns into like a super know-it-all show-off. I don't know if he's being arrogant at this point, or if he's actually like a good shepherd and he knows what he's talking about. As as the story unfolds over the next couple of weeks, we'll see that he turns out to be a very good shepherd. But he starts sort of barking orders at the locals. Like he doesn't even know these guys. And he said in verse 7, Behold, it is still high day. It is not the time for the livestock to be gathered. Water the sheep and go, pasture them. But they said, We cannot until the flocks are gathered. And they rolled the stone from the mouth of the well. And then we water the sheep. So apparently there's some sort of union rules or something going on. But like it's capped until some other people come and take off this huge stone. Um, and then they could water the sheep. There's a, there's a protocol. But the cute girl has entered the story, and uh, while he was still speaking with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she was a shepherdess. When Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, Jacob went up, and he rolled the stone from the mouth of the well and watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. And so suddenly he's like, okay, I'm going to take care of business. This cute girl's here. She's got sheep. I'm going to pull the stone off. I'm going to sort of quickly introduce myself, get things going. Very different than the story previously uh, with um, Rebecca being found. Remember, he sat back. He allowed God to move. Hey, if this is the one, have her do these things. Uh, Jacob is just like going for it. Don't, don't let that read into verse 11. Then he, <laughs> then he kissed Rachel. This is, this is a, a common greeting of the air. This isn't anything more. If he was to aggressively kiss her uh, in a romantic way that could get him killed, um, he kissed her. I'm sure his heart was beating. I'm sure we know he's attracted to her. And he kissed her and he lifted his voice and he wept. And, and I kind of think that this guy's had some trauma. Um, I, I mean, I, I mean I'm not, not trying to be funny, but it's also like his brother wants to kill him. He has all of this stuff. He just like basically cheated his dad. His brother wants to kill him. His mom sends him on the, on the run, but with his dad's blessing, he has nothing like the clothes on his back, 
no money, no resources, nothing. And he gets 50 miles north. He encounters God, which would have been terrifying. Then he continues, like, sort of generally knowing where he's going. And then he finally gets to the place where the people are. He does see a beautiful girl, which would be sort of like relieving it. I think that'd be like, oh, great. You know, this is like, this is okay. But you just see like the release of, of the stress and, and the emotions of, of what he's gone through. And so Jacob told Rachel that he was a relative of her father and that he was Rebecca's son. And she ran and she told her father, bless you. So when Laban heard the news of Jacob, his sister's son, he ran to meet him and he embraced him and kissed him and brought him to his house. We'll just kind of pause there. Laban is not a great guy. Um, I don't know if he's as bad as we think he is. I don't know. Like I have a lot of, I have way more questions about today's story and these people than I have answers uh, we do know that in the previous story, when Abraham sent his helper to go find a wife, that guy showed up loaded. I mean, he had, he had camels upon camels that were carrying all sorts of goods and resources uh, to, to, to make a payment for this bride. So when he hears, oh, my sister's back, or her son is back to find a wife, Certainly he brought the goods and I got some daughters that I'm willing to barter with. So he goes like running over there to see what his payday is going to be. And he finds his homeless looking guy um, that's got nothing. So he runs out and meets him. He embraced him and he kissed him and he brought him to his house. And then he related to Laban all these things. Laban said to him, surely you are bone of my flesh. And he stayed with him for a month. Verse 15. Then Laban said to Jacob, so a month has gone by, he's doing work around there. Uh, because you are my relatives, relative, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Uh, tell me, what shall your wages be? So it doesn't seem like, remember, Jacob is on the run. So he's just trying to preserve himself. Uh, his mom and dad said you should go there to find a wife, but you're supposed to stay there until we tell you that it's safe for you to come back. God tells him that he would get a wife along the way, but, but as far as Laban's concerned, he's working there, he's staying with him, he's, he's helping around the house, and he's like, well, should I continue to let you work in this way without paying you? So what shall your wages be? Now we have a parenthetical statement. This verses 16 and 17 is a, is a, is a parenthesis in the story. Uh, and I'm trying to think in my mind, how would they do this in a movie? But they would sort of like give something, I don't know, or a narrator would speak. But Laban had two daughters. The name of the older one was Leah, and the name of the younger one was Rachel. Um, that's Gabriel. And Leah's eyes were weak. But Rachel was beautiful uh, of form and face. So a lot of this week, as I've been studying research, and I've already made eye contact with Anna, so she's already telling me, don't even go there, Gunner. Don't, like, just like. So her eyes worked fine. We'll just leave it at that. They were working eyes. They looked different. And I don't want to offend anybody if somebody's named Leah here. Um, but Leah means wild cow. Uh, Rachel means you. So the, the, the author's giving this parenthetical statement saying that there are these two daughters. Um, they're different in age. There's the older one, and she's basically the ugly one that nobody wants. And then there's the beautiful one that all the boys are after. That's the parent. I'll just leave it at that. We, we don't have time to sort of unpack my thoughts on this one. Verse 18 we come to this prop. This is sort of the, a huge thing that's going to flow through today's story. Now, Jacob loved Rachel, so he played his cards with Laban, which he should have never done. Uh, or that's just my commentary. If, if, if Jacob is a swindler, like he scammed his brother out of the birthright, or he took advantage of his brother of the birthright, he certainly scammed his father out of the blessing that was deserved from his brother. He got these traits naturally. 
Uh, Laban is his uncle. He's been playing this game for a long time. And he simply comes to him with like, hey, what should I pay you? Normal response would be like, how about 15 shekels an hour? Like, is that a good payment? But Jacob plays his cards. And he said to you, I will serve you for seven years for your daughter, Rachel. Uh, Your daughter, I really am attracted to. I will give you seven years of labor if in exchange I can have her as a wife. Now, remember, normally he would, the, the deal would be like, hey, I got uh, 17 uh, camels out here loaded with gold and stuff. Can I make you an offer for your daughter? But he doesn't have that. So he's got he's to figure out a way to, to pay for the gift to marry his daughter. And so Laban said, he doesn't say, yes, this is a great idea. He, he answers uh, sort of with vagueness, but in a way that would lead Jacob to think he said yes. It is better that I give her to you than to give her to another man. Stay with me. That, that sounds good. Now, I don't know that Laban is necessarily like at this moment is being this scoundrel that we think he turns into as the story unfolds. But he also, I think, he finds sort of a way to answer that he could say, I didn't exactly say that to you. I think he's saying, okay, seven years to go. Ideally, during the course of the seven years, somebody will come along and want to marry my daughter, Wild Cow. I mean, Leah. Like, so he, I mean, that's her name. It means Wild Cow. Like, it's so... So I, he's hoping, I think, that the oldest will get married off in this course of the seven years. And then if that's the case, then there's no problem with Jacob marrying Rachel. But he doesn't necessarily lay out the fine print of what he's thinking. So Jacob served seven years uh, for Rachel, and they, and they seemed to him but a few days because of her love for her. This is back to that scene of the beautiful Israeli girl, his heart beating. Oh, he's doing all of this horrible work, but it's for love, and he, it means nothing to him. So that seven years flew by like seven days. Then Jacob said to Laban, give me my wife, for the time is completed that I may go into her. Laban gathered all the men of the place to make a feast. So it seems that the contract is about to go through. He says, it's been seven years. I'd like to marry uh, your daughter. Um, uh, not seen in here. That What's very clearly insinuated is they've maintained their relationship purely until they were married. They, uh, they were not sleeping with each other prior to the marriage. He's, he's waiting for seven years to do things right. He says that I've, I've honored my side of this deal. Now I'd like to marry Rachel. So... Laban gathers the men of the place, and he made this feast. And in the evening, he took his daughter, Leah. That wasn't me saying the wrong word. He takes the older daughter, wild cow, not the ewe lamb, and he's going to do a switcheroo. And we, reading this story, is like, how in the world is this possible? So we have to sort of remember the the, the culture then, uh, in the sense of like, what did they have or what didn't they have? Um, so this is like a week-long ceremony. The language insinuates that alcohol is highly involved in this week-long process. They didn't have electricity, so it was very dark. And veils were like a super big thing, like literally the girl was veiled. And so... Now, in the evening, he took his daughter, Leah. There's just so many questions. Like, what was Leah thinking through this? The Bible doesn't tell us. What was Rachel thinking through this? The Bible doesn't tell us at this point, like, how this whole thing happened. Seven years had gone by. Uh, Leah has not been wed to another man. She's the oldest daughter. He's got to take care of this problem in his eyes by marrying this girl off. And so he sneaks her into the, the bridal gown They go through the process. Um, Laban gives his maid Zilpah as a a wedding gift to his daughter Leah as a maid. And so it came about in the morning when Jacob was waking up. 
he had the shock of his life. It was Leah, and it wasn't Rachel, the girl that he loved and who he, uh, that he wanted to marry. Um, he's furious. Like, like, right, like this, like this is something that, I mean, I've been trying to think that, like, if you were thought you're going to marry one person and then you end up waking up to her sister and, like, this would not, like, or any, like, it just wouldn't go well. And so he, he said to Laban, what is this that you have done to me? Was it not for Rachel that I served you? Why then have you deceived me? But Laban said, it is not the practice in our place to marry off the younger before the firstborn. And a lot of people kind of question, like, was this Laban sort of now uh, playing his cards with now his son-in-law? Like, I don't know where you come from, but the firstborn is the firstborn. The secondborn is not the firstborn like you tried to sort of concoct. And maybe if you'd done things right, Esau would have come up here and married her. I don't, like, I, like there's, there's, there's no telling exactly what he's insinuating here, but he's saying, hey, I don't know where you come from, but here the first daughter gets married first and then the second daughter gets married. And he goes on to say in verse 27, complete the week of this one. He said, don't ruin this beautiful wedding ceremony that I've thrown for you and Leah. Go on, have the rest of the week, go through the party, and we will give you the other also for the service which you shall serve me for another seven years. Jacob did so, did so and completed her week, and he gave him his daughter Rachel as his wife. Laban also gave the maid Bilhah to his daughter Rachel as her maid. Okay, so to understand the story, basically he, he pays <clears throat> for Leah with cash, and then he marries Rachel on credit. We, we have to see this. I think before I got to this story, I thought there was like another seven years went by. What happens is there's the, there's the, the wedding week. Somewhere in the midst, the marriage is consummated. He gets, realizes it's the wrong one. They have a little spat about the contract, and he's like, you're, you're in. So just go ahead and go through the rest of the party. Have a good time. At the end of the party, I'll give you my other daughter. You can marry her, like at the conclusion of the wedding. And then you can work for another seven years to pay off for the second wife that you now have. I don't want to read too deep, but I don't think this is a good foundation for a marriage or in-law relationships. Like, like this is a real soap opera. Um, so Jacob, Jacob did so. And, and we're told in verse 30, so Jacob went into Rachel also, and indeed he loved Rachel more than Leah. Again, we see this. Verse 18, he loved Rachel. Now he loves Rachel, but it's, it's contrasted with he loved Rachel more than he loved Leah, and he served Laban for another seven years. So now he's been here for like 14 years. He worked seven years, gets two wives basically at the end of seven years, and he works another seven years. He has these two wives, just heartbreaking. And then he's going to start, the Bible's going to rattle off the kids that start to happen. And these kids are important because these children become the 12 tribes of Israel, and so we'll look at verse 31. <clears throat> now the Lord saw that Leah was unloved, literally hated. And he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. So sort of the foundation. Leah, the wild cow, hated. Rachel loved. Rachel barren. The wild cow God sees. God opens her womb and begins giving her children because she's unloved. So verse 32, Leah conceived and bore a son and named him Reuben. For she said, because the Lord has seen my affliction, surely now my husband will love me. So she has son number one. And she names him Reuben. And the name of this is like the convey see, like see me. Here she is. This, it's just really painful to think of the story of this girl. Like, now I have a son. His name is Reuben, which means see me. Like, Jacob, do you see me? I've given you a son. Please see me. Acknowledge me. It didn't seem to do anything. Um, 
For she said, because the Lord had seen my affliction, surely now my husband will love me. Then she conceived again and bore a son and said, because the Lord has heard that I am unloved, he has therefore given me this son also. So she named him Simeon. So she's unseen, unloved, and her kids are bearing out what she's feeling in her marriage relationship. Verse 34, she conceived again and bore a son and said, now this time my husband will become attached to me because I have borne him three sons. Therefore, he was named Levi. Okay, so 14 years has gone by just because I like to do the math. It doesn't give us a timeline but the best we can do is like Irish twins, which means that you have two baby, like babies within like a year of each other. So I think it's safe to assume that it's like that these kids are coming like at year intervals. So we're at like year 15, year 16, year, wait, wait, year 15, 16, 17. These three sons, she names, it's like just gut-wrenching. Like I, I, I want my husband to see me. I want my husband to love me. Now I have three. Maybe he'll attach himself to me like emotionally to let me know that I'm like, that I'm here, that we're secure, that we're safe, that, that we're a family. None of that. And I do think as a husband, this has been super like, kind of like one of the, like in like the midst of this garbage, like maybe there's like a little nugget here, like for me, like, okay, like my wife wants to be seen. She wants to be loved. She wants to be attacked. Like, these are things that we as husbands should be doing for our wives. Jacob is not doing this. And then we come to verse 35, and she conceived again and bore another son, number four. And she says, this time I will praise the Lord. It's like she's almost done with Jacob. Jacob is, is proving to not be a good husband. He's proving to not be a good dad. In today's story, he will only be seen sort of as like a sire of these children, not as a, a father or a husband to, to, to any of them in, in many respects. And here, Leah, she's just broken. And she says, I'm going to name this child Judah, and I'm just going to praise God and keep my hope in him. And then she stopped bearing. So she's, she's done kind of, sort of, at this point. Um, the story is going to continue, so we'll see. So she has four sons. Now we shift over to chapter 30, verse 1. We're going to hop over to the story of Rachel. Now when Rachel, um, now when Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children, she became jealous of her sister. So she said to Jacob, give me children or else I die. Like she might be pretty on the outside, but she's broken on the inside. Leah is not pretty on the outside and is broken on the inside. But at this point in the story, she's like crying out to God, and I think she's finding her wholeness in God. Then Jacob's anger burned against Rachel. Like, I just want to point out, like, we have to kind of like, a little time out here. Let's address polygamy really quick. So like, Two or three years ago, we went on a trip to, to Utah, and we went to Bryce Canyon, and we did that whole area. There was like a big flood, and so we couldn't come back the way we came. We had to do this huge like detour through somewhere that I don't even know where we were. And then I saw these people with like really tall fences, like 12-foot fences, and I saw some kids, and when they saw me, they kind of hid, and it's like, where are we at? Like, what is this place? And we're like, oh, these are fundamentalist Mormons. And it's this whole town. The whole town's inbred. It's on Wikipedia. Fast, it led me down this huge like rabbit trail of studying up on, on fundamentalist uh, LDS people and polygamy and the history. And I'll spare you all the details. It's a miserable existence. Nobody's happy. Like, like it's horrible. Mormons will use this as sort of like precedence, like, God's okay with polygamy because it's in the Bible. No, every time it comes up in the Bible, it's super horrible and tragic, and it's not endorsed at all by the Bible. The Bible simply acknowledges what's happening. But so far we see, like, just I want to point out the obvious. Jacob doesn't seem very happy. Leah doesn't seem very happy. 
Rachel doesn't seem very happy. And we haven't even got to the two other ladies that are going to bear sons. I, I, it does, they don't get a lot of commentary, but I'm pretty sure they're not happy either. Um, Jacob just explodes in anger and says, like, who do you think I am? Like, like I'm not God. Like, I can't get you, like, I, I, I can't make you have a baby or not make you have a baby. Only God can do that. So his theology is good, but there's just total frustration. And she says in verse 3, Here's my maid Bilhah. Go into her that she may bear on my knees and that through her I too may have children. This sounds a lot like the story that we've read before, right? Here's this other person. Get her pregnant. Then I kind of, it sounds like she can have the baby on my knees and then like through osmosis, the baby will be mine. Like I, I don't think Bilhah's, Bilhah, Bilhah is going to be cool with that. So she gave him her maid Bilhah as a wife, and Jacob went into her. Bilhah conceived and bore a son, number five. Then Rachel said, God has vindicated me and has indeed heard my voice and has given me a son. Therefore, she named him Dan. Hi, Dan. Dan's like right here. So it's like, um, this would become the tribe that would be the very northern part of Israel. You hear from Dan to Beersheba in the description throughout the Old Testament. Uh, the tribe of Dan would settle in the north. Uh, Rachel's, uh, Rachel's maid Bilhah conceived again and bore Jacob a second son. So Rachel said, with mighty wrestlings, I have wrestled with my sister and I have indeed prevailed. And she named him Naphtali, child number six. When Leah saw that she had stopped bearing, she took her maid Zilpha and gave her to Jacob as a wife. So she's like, I can play that game. Here's this all. Um, Leah's maid Zilpha bore a son. Leah said, how fortunate she has named him Gad. Leah's maid Zilpha bore Jacob a second son. Then Leah said, happy am I, for women will call me happy. And she named him Asher, number eight. So just keeping track of the kids. Leah, four sons. Then sons five and six are from the maid of Rachel. Then sons seven, eight are from Leah's maid. So now we're up to eight tribes of Israel. Now the story is going to get even more weirder. Um, verse 14. Now in the days of the, of the wheat harvest, I know we all know when that is, and I, that was like in all of this, that's not the rabbit trail. I went down to research when the wheat harvest was. It was wheat harvest time. Um, now Reuben, who is son number one, uh, he went and he found mandrakes in the field. Now, mandrakes were this thing that I, I guess when you peel them apart, it looked like a little human, like a little stick figure or something. And so they believed it, it carried sort of like special uh, magical traits that would help with fertility and that sort of thing. So it was like a vitamin supplement that they thought was doing something. Um, so he found some really good mandrakes in the field, and he brought them to his mother, Leah. Okay. So son number one finds mandrakes. This is a resource. This is, this is you know, an important commodity to have. So he gets them. He brings them to mom, Leah, uh, the older sister, the wild cow, that one, just in case you lose tracks of names. Then Rachel, <clears throat> sister number two, the you one, the pretty one, she's aware of these mandrakes. So she talks to her sister, please give me some of your son's mandrakes. But she said to her, Leah said to Rachel, is it a small matter for you to take my husband? And would you take my son's mandrakes also? So Rachel said, therefore, he may lie with you tonight in return for your son's mandrakes. So in some homes, like, you know, in the fridge, there's like chore schedules for the kids. Rachel controlled the bedroom schedule. So she seems like she's withhold the husband and like she's lined him up where he stays at night. And she says, okay, I'll make a deal with you. You give me those mandrakes, I'll let him spend the night with you tonight. Seemed like a good deal. Um, okay, you, okay, verse 15, I think. Therefore he may, wait, wait, is it a small, okay, yeah. Uh, Rachel said, therefore, he may lie with you tonight in return for your son's mandrakes. D 
deal struck. Verse 16, when Jacob came in from the field in the evening, then Leah went out to meet with him and said, okay, so we're with Leah, older daughter. She has four sons with him. She's the wild cow. She meets her husband Jacob in the field and says, you must come into me for I have surely hired you with my son's mandrakes. So he's now for hire. This is a stud service. This is not a husband. This is not a father. This is, she's like, I've purchased you. He seems very passive. He seems to be a lot like his dad and the passivity of things. Like he's just like, I'm going over here. Okay. I'm going over here. I guess like you got, you paid me tonight. Okay. Um, you've hired me. So he lay with her that night. God gave heed to Leah. Okay. The mandrakes were supposed to work for Rachel's infertility, right? I don't want you guys to get lost in this. So Leah sold the mandrakes, but she is the one who got pregnant. Um, And she conceived and bore Jacob a fifth son. So she has son number five, which is actually son number nine in the the tribal listing. Then Leah said, God has given me my wages because I gave my maid to my husband. So she named him Ishakar. Leah conceived again and bore a sixth son to Jacob. Then Leah said, God has endowed me with a good gift. Now my husband will dwell with me because I have borne him six sons. And she named him Zebulun. Zebulun is son number 10 in the listing here. Afterward, she bore a daughter and named her Dina. Dina, we'll get to. Dina is a tragic story. This is all we are introduced. So a, a girl finally comes along at number, what is this, 11? But she's not listed in the numbering count. Verse 22, then God remembered Rachel. Those mandrakes are going to finally pay off, but it's not, God, it's not the mandrakes, it's God. So in verse 22, then God remembered Rachel and gave heed to her and he opened her womb. So she conceived and bore a son and said, God has taken away my reproach. She named him Joseph, saying, may the Lord give me another son. And then it stopped. Like, it, it's like the story's going to go, the, the story's going to shift at the end of chapter 30 into 31 about Jacob trying to get out of Dodge. Like he just wants to get away from his father-in-law. And, and so, so, so you, if you're reading this and you're like, why is it just stop at 11? Like we, we know that there's a 12th. We know Benjamin's going to be born. We'll, we'll deal with that later, but he's, it's going to be another four chapters before Benjamin's born. Benjamin, she will, she will get pregnant with Benjamin. She will give birth to Benjamin and she's going to die giving birth to Benjamin. Um, but that's the 12 tribes. Okay. So what do we do with this passage? Um, it's a good question. <clears throat> okay, so many people will deal with this story as like, they'll take this, this story of this unfolding and they'll deal with it as like God's discipline in Jacob's life. Like Jacob swindled his brother out of the blessing, really out of his birthright. He was going about things his own way, not seeking God, not doing this. And, and then there's consequences for your actions and God's going to discipline them. And, and, and certainly uh, Jacob is going to be refined through these stories. Like he's, he's, he's still, he's a work in progress. Uh, certainly, certainly there's more to come with Jacob. He's going to wrestle with God. He's going to get his hip out of joint. He's, God's eventually going to name him Israel. Uh, but I don't think that that's like the main theme of this story. Some people take this story and they use it as, as a, as, as a, as a less, lesson on like marriage and parenting, namely what not to do. Unless you're Mormon or Muslim, then it's a, like a what to do. Um, like seriously, like both Mormons and, and Muslims would take this as an example for, for polygamy. I've, I've met a lot of Muslims and had fun with them, trying to make fun of them about their multiple wives. They all get very uncomfortable. And uh, uh, like in, like just like they don't seem pleasant here, the polygamists I've met in real life, they don't seem like they're happy people with their situation. Um, and I do think that there are some lessons about family and marriage in this, and I think we'll look at those more. I think they surface more naturally 
as we get into the life of Joseph, because we see like sort of all of the wounds of this like, because you have six from one lady, you have two from another lady, two from another lady, and then you have two. Does my math? Yeah, that's, I think that's, that's 12, not including Dina. And then these kids, the dysfunction there is just, it, it, there's going to be a lot of lessons on, on, on parenting and marriage just through the life of Joseph, I think will come naturally. But like, what is like the main thing? We're flying through generous. Like, what is like the question? Like, what do I see in this system or in this story? Um, so last week was the, the dream of the ladder going to heaven, God or the angels coming um, from heaven down to earth, inter- like talking with Jacob and sort of giving him hope of a future and the promise. Um, if you've entered today's story or you have viewed the patriarchs, like I think deep within me, I have where I, I want to look at the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, uh, Joseph, these, these, these men who are good, godly men who did things well and they sort of were righteous and holy and they, they, they went up the ladder and they did everything they were supposed to do and then God blessed them because they deserved it because their behavior was so good. That's a great thought. But if you read the Bible, it's going to be totally wrecked. Because um, I think what's being conveyed in this story is not man's character, because man's character is flawed. I think we're getting a story about God, his character, and his nature. Um, th- this week, I, there's a, a kid's Bible like designed for kids that are between four years old and seven years old called the Storybook Bible. It's an excellent kid's Bible. I recommend it even for adults. Talking with Anna this week, she's like, yeah, in that Storybook Bible, the first time I read the story about Leah and Rachel, they presented it in a way that I'd never seen. And it's like, you're describing to me. And I was just weeping. Like, she's like, I'm reading to one of our kids and I'm like bawling about this story. And then if you go to the introduction of the, the, the storybook Bible, or the, I think it's the Jesus storybook Bible, it introduces this concept so well. And in that beginning, she, um, she says this. Now, some people think the Bible is a book of rules, telling you, what, telling you what you should and shouldn't do. The Bible certainly does have some rules in it. They show you how life works best. But the Bible isn't mainly about you and what you should be doing. It's about God and what he has done. Other people think the Bible is a book of heroes showing you people that you should copy. The Bible does have some heroes in it, but as you'll soon find out, like we did today, most of the people in the Bible aren't heroes at all. They make some big mistakes, some, sometimes on purpose, and they get, away, uh, they get afraid and they run away. At times, they're downright mean. No, the Bible isn't a book of rules or uh, a book of heroes. The Bible is most of all a story. It's an adventure story about a young hero who comes from a far country to win back his lost treasure. It's a love story about a brave prince who leaves his palace, his throne, everything to rescue the ones he loves. It's like the most wonderful of fairy tales that has come true in real life. It takes the whole Bible to tell this story. And at the center of the story, there is a baby. Every story in the Bible whispers his name. He is like the missing piece in the puzzle, the piece that makes all the other pieces fit together, and suddenly you can see a beautiful picture. So then that introduction sort of begs the question, like, where is Jesus in today's story? You can find Jesus in today's story If you think back to son number four of Leah, Judah, everybody had failed Leah. She is unwanted by everyone. She can't even find a husband. Her dad swindles a guy and tricking this guy into thinking that he's marrying her beautiful little sister, that I'm sure she had a chip on her shoulder. She thinks by bearing children, by giving this guy sons, that he'll see her, he'll love her, he'll attach his life to her, and he never does. And then son number four comes, 
And she says, this time, I'm going to praise the Lord. And I'm going to look to him for hope. And if we can go to the next slide, just to kind of show you, like, of the 12 tribes of Israel, how they sort of unfold. So you have Jacob at the top. You have Leah, the elder sister. You have sons, one, two, three, fours. Reuben, Simon, Levi, Judah. Then you have her slave, Gad, Asher, nothing below. Bilhah has Dan and Naphtali, nothing below. Rachel has Joseph and then Benjamin. There's some fascinating things when I look at this list. When I see Rachel, I see a young lady that the young man, all he wanted was her beauty. He saw, looked at the outside, and that's what he was attracted to. He didn't seek God. He went after the beautiful one. You go down to Benjamin, and then you go down to King Saul. What was the story of King Saul? The people of Israel wanted a king like the other nations. And so they, when, when they selected a king, they didn't go to what God saw. They went to what they saw. And how that story of King Saul end? Not that great. So basically, then I'm like going like, what is the deal with the whole story of Joseph? Like, why is Joseph even in Genesis? Why does he get such a, he gets chapters 37 through 50. I kind of was thinking like, oh yeah, maybe Joseph, like a bunch of stuff happens. But really, I think the story of Joseph is really a story of Israel going into captivity and being brought out of captivity, not necessarily following the line of the Messiah. And so Joseph basically comes to a dead end. He ends up having two tribes because, not because he's anything special, but because they needed to fill another spot. Because from Leah's line, son number three, Levi, would become the priestly line, right? The priestly line with Moses and Aaron, ultimately to the high priest, the priest, and the Levites. These are the people that would lead Israel. The Levites were not allowed to have land. So they had a lot of other benefits, but they didn't have the benefits of land. And so in order to maintain the 12 tribes in the 12 different areas, Joseph's family line had to split into two tribes. Then obviously we come to Judah. So here we have Judah, the one that she said, I'm going to just give my life to God and trust God. Through Judah comes King David. How did King David get chosen? Well, everything fell apart with Saul. While he was still king, God is going to anoint his own king. Remember this whole story. They go and they find this family and the king is there. They look at all the boys and, 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 God doesn't want any of the boys that man would choose. But there was this little runt of a kid that nobody would select. Turns out that's King David, who God chose, because God sees the inside, not the outside. And King David was no, like, Sunday school kid. Like, he had a lot of his own problems just before we start elevating these people. And then through the, through the Davidic covenant, by way of the Abrahamic covenant, we would have Jesus. Also a king that was rejected by the people, right? So you have this, this Leah who was in last place. Nobody wanted her. Through her son Judah would come David. Nobody saw David. Then we would have Jesus. And it's like as we go through the story, like just sort of as um, when I look at the life of Leah, this wild cow of a person, that I don't know what the deal is with her eyes, but she was like, the Bible's trying to highlight, she was super ugly, super unwanted. Nobody loved her. Do you know where she's buried? I didn't know until like a day ago. As we go through Genesis, we'll see that when she dies, she actually is buried with Abraham and Isaac in their tomb. Do you know where Rachel's buried? On the side of the road somewhere. Like seriously, she... She, they're journeying away. She gives birth to Benjamin. She dies somewhere outside of Jerusalem, and she's just basically buried on the side of the road, like not a place of prominence. And so this whole like story is like a sad like disaster of, of people's relationships and how they treat one another. But in the shadows, we see God's hand moving and weaving this redemptive story through these fallen people that's, that's this, it's significant, it's, it's beautiful, and through the path that you would least suspect, the least become, for, like the, the foremost, the last become first. And I, I trust that he's doing like the same thing today. When I see Jesus sort of popping through this line here, like, I am thankful that this perfect Messiah came through imperfect people. 
He made the perfect sacrifice for us, not that we would become perfect, but that we would be transformed by his perfect love. And so my prayer today is that if you're feeling like Leah, the reality is we all should identify as Leah. And as we are feeling less than ideal, less wanted, like your spouse will never satisfy you. Your job will never ultimately satisfy you. Money won't satisfy you. Children won't satisfy you. God is the only one who can ultimately give you satisfaction. And so my prayer for each of us, wherever you are in the spectrum of your faith journey, that you ultimately would encounter the Messiah and that you would be transformed by his love. And Father, we thank you for this this story. We thank you. This is a messy story with polygamy and love and hatred and just sadness. Like this is sorrow at the deepest and most intrinsic level of people. And the reality is for all of us living in a fallen world deep, deep down, we can identify at some level to this. And in the midst of this horrific story, through the path that we wouldn't see, really the 12 tribes of Israel would springboard out of these these 12 sons or the 11 sons that we looked at today, but through the one, in the most despair, where Leah was ultimately so broken that the only place she could turn is to turn to you. And in the story, she seems to be the only one that's calling out to you. And through her, you, you, you would use her, that you would bring about the tribe of Judah, which would bring about King David and his covenant, and then would bring about the Messiah. And, and this least desirable woman would be held in such high esteem, not because of what she did, but because of what you did through her. And so, Father, I pray that as she cried out, that you would help us to love you, to put our trust in you, to put our hope in you, because in you is the only place that ultimately we can find hope and satisfaction and forgiveness and healing and redemption. And so, Father, we thank you that this story is not about us. It's about you, and it's about your Messiah who came to save us. And it's in his name I pray. Amen.